America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, and welcome to the show, everyone. A special shout-out to my friend, Yoshiko Dart. And we have a great show today. A really great show by a Pittsburgher. You know how I love every so often to have a Pittsburgher on. And speaking of Pittsburghers, before we start our show with our guest, we have a person that called in. And I want to talk about him for a few moments because, as you all know, we, are, we welcome anyone running for any office, Democrat or Republican, to be on the show as long as they talk about disability. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to Dan LaValle. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you so much for having me for a quick minute. I just uh, I appreciate your leadership, and I admire what you've done for the disability community and many other communities here in our region and uh, all over the country and the world. And I guess, well, Dan, Dan, yes, how about Joyce. you tell our guests for a moment what officer are you sure. running for and where? Yes, so I'm running for the third congressional district in Pennsylvania, which is Butler County, a little bit north of Pittsburgh, uh, all the way up to Erie County. And we have 18 congressional districts in Pennsylvania, and I'm running for the third. Okay, so what's that mean? Where would people be living that would vote or can vote for you? So they'd be living in a seven-county region that's about two and a half hours from north to south, a little bit north of Pittsburgh, and all the, across the Ohio border all the way up to Erie County uh, would be our voting district. We've got about 700,000 folks uh, that are in the district, and we're looking forward to uh, meeting as many as we can from now until November. Uh, as we do not have a, a primary uh, in our race in particular in May, which other races do, but we'll be focused on going to November uh, where our election will be held. Great. Well, you know we have a large listening audience. This is our 12th year on the air yes. but, uh, and really large on the East Coast. But I want to uh, tell you, you know, we recently had Governor Ridge and Governor Thornburg on. And mm-hmm. that is my point about disability is bipartisan. And what is most important to those of us in the disability community is someone that carries the flag for us. So, Dan, how about that? If you're elected into office, are you going to remember the disability community? Absolutely, Joyce. It's the type of leadership, the type of new leadership that we want to bring. You know, I see you in the type of leadership that you, Congressman Quello, Mark Perriello, and several others across the country have provided for those with disabilities in creating opportunities for growth, for job growth, for those with disabilities in particular. That's the type of new leadership that we want to bring to our region, our state, and this country. Absolutely. I will not forget those with disabilities, and uh, it's a pillar of our campaign to bring new leadership and new ideas to Washington. Because, you know, Dan... It's all about employment and quality of life for those of us with disabilities. So you know if you win, we're going to be knocking on your door, don't you? 
Absolutely, and I know that that unemployment rate for those with disabilities is too high, and I appreciate and I've seen the work that you've done, Joyce, especially with getting the federal government to to hire those uh, with disabilities, and I think that it's a model that we can bring the type of new leadership, and I will hear you all be at the table, and I just appreciate so very much having the chance to spend with you and all of your listeners as we go along this journey. Okay, so Dan, if someone is interested in following you or donating to your uh, office, what do they do? They can absolutely donate and follow us and be a part of the campaign. We want to build as much support as we can, and they can go to www.danlavalley.com, and that is www.danlavalley.com. And we appreciate the support, and we're going to keep on building the momentum that we need to take it on to November. danlavalley.com. Dan. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we appreciate more than anything that you're thinking about us, that you're remembering us, and that you took time to be on the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you for lead- your leadership. I admire you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you again here in the near future. All right. Lead on, Dan. Thanks, Joyce. Take care. Well, we have an open door here, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. We care about you caring about people with disabilities, and that is why I've had prominent people from the Bush administration to Tony Coelho, Valerie Jarrett from the White House. As I said, this is a bipartisan effort. And, and we have a great guest today. Yes, we do. He is with the Leadership Education in Neurodevelopment, Disabilities, and Related Disorders. He is a doctor. He is, for us, a leader that's including us all to make sure that our health needs are understood and taken care of. He is just a wonderful man that I had the great pleasure of meeting through Andy Imperato, who you all know on this show, Andy Imperato. So, Robert, it is such a great pleasure to have you as our guest today. It's um, my honor to uh, be on your show and to be able to participate uh, with these efforts that you're making. Well, you too. Wow. You're like a remarkable man. You're like um, one of these bionic men. You're like a superhero because... You were in an almost fatal accident that it is unbelievable how well you recovered. So, Bob, how about if you shared that story that occurred right here in Pittsburgh, PA, with our listeners? Sure. So, um, on Memorial Day 2011, I went out with a group of physicians that I like to ride bikes with at 7 o'clock in the morning. It was a beautiful, warm um, May day, and uh, we were going out Allegheny River Boulevard, just getting started. A car decided to that we weren't going quite fast enough for him or her, and they tried to pass us and make a right turn up South Washington. Uh, they completely ran over me. They ran over the next person in my group, another physician from Children's, and they kept going uh, after they uh, hit us. Uh, I had a crushed pelvis, five broken ribs, 
broken collarbone, broken scapula, broken hand, punctured lung, and a um, torn uh, rotator cuff from the accident. They spent 30 days in the hospital. The first week was in the ICU and then uh, spent the next uh, six months on disability leave. Uh, I also, uh, from my accident, had a closed head injury, so I was uh, unconscious for the first week after I was hit and have really spent the last uh, two and a half years recovering um, from my accident, trying to get my strength back and be able to go out and ride my bike again, just like I uh, did before my accident. Unbelievable. And if you would meet this brilliant man and see him, and then you heard the story, you just wouldn't believe it. You would not believe how he has recovered. One of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show, as you might guess, Bob, thousands upon thousands of our listeners have had some type of traumatic uh, experience later in their life, whether it was an injury such as yours or diving where, you know, they uh, broke their neck or whatever it is, and they too have faced the challenge and moved on, uh, and you are one of us. You are one of those that really just took this up and moved on. Well, I thank so you for how, that. How, how about maybe you could share your advice, because there are some people listening that have been recently through a trauma or that came back from Iraq and Afghanistan and come back with traumatic brain injury, which is what you're talking about, and really are just having a hard time wanting to get it back together, you know, and yet you did. You were able to. So what advice would you have for those? You know, um, one of the things I've uh, had the good fortune to do throughout my career, Joyce, is to work with children with cancer and their families. Um, you know, although I'm a pediatric psychologist, my uh, specialization for the longest period of time was working with children with cancer and their families. And I do really recall when I began to become aware of what had happened and where I was in the hospital, uh, and I started my journey on recovery, I kept thinking about all these families that I've had the great privilege and honor to work with and the courage that, that I've uh, witnessed from so many of them across the course of my uh, clinical career. And it just seemed to me that being hit by a car and having a few broken bones was relatively simple and straightforward compared to watching your three-year-old be diagnosed with a brain tumor and having to face uh, that journey. So I, I would have to say a major part of my inspiration moving forward was what the, the privilege that I've had to watch all these children and their families move forward facing this diagnosis of cancer. And I would add that not only do I see, have I seen so many of these families face this with so much dignity, but even families where the outcome isn't as favorable as one would like, and children end up relapsing and passing away. 
many of those families continue to have courage and faith daily life activities and make their children's memory something that's a very positive thing for themselves and the larger community. And it was this body of experience that I felt like I was able to draw on uh, as I began my own personal journey, which I felt like was much, much easier than the journey that I've seen these other families have to face. Well, that certainly is uh, something that would have an impact on me. And I guess it's a good message for everyone listening to the show because sometimes when you put yourself in a situation where you pay it forward and you see what others are going through, it is amazing what that does to you. I know I had brain surgery and I almost lost my life uh, due to a seizure and epilepsy. But you know what? When people say to me, oh, how do you deal with that? I say, how do I deal with it? Number one, I'm here. And number two, just as you said, there are children with epilepsy that have hundreds of seizures a day, hundreds. And compared to those children, I am blessed. And with that, hey, folks, we've got to go to break for a minute. If you just joined us, we're talking to Dr. Robert Knoll, Program Director at LEND, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Make sure you tell all your friends to tune in if they're not here now. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Bob. News. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. From the vehicles we drive to life saving medical devices, high performance materials from Bayer Material Science contribute to the creation of products that positively affect our lives every day. Bayer has long believed in the competitive talent that people with disabilities contribute to the workplace, to our workplace. Such a diverse workforce is essential to helping us fulfill our mission. Bayer, science for a better life. For more information, please visit materialscience.bayer.com. At Highmark, we believe in the power of difference, of making a difference, of embracing difference, of bringing differences together to create a stronger, more vibrant workforce. It's at the heart of who we are, and it earned us recognition as one of the top 50 employers by Careers and the Disabled magazine. We promise to continue celebrating diverse individuals because inclusion benefits all of us and makes our company and our communities a better place. To find out more, visit Highmark.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display 
their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We're talking to Dr. Robert Knoll right here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with UPMC at the Leadership Education Neurodevelopment Disabilities and Related Disorders. And what an honor it is to have him with us today. Uh, Robert, of course, you were talking about being a pediatric psychologist, but how you work with children uh, with cancer, as we were talking about, after your traumatic accident, how you were able to so much pull it together and move forward. But I found out something interesting at the, at the break that I believe also had a profound impact on the direction of your life, and that is that you were in the Vietnam War. I'm going to allow you to tell everyone what you, what you did, but first I want to say thank you for serving our country. Thank you, Joyce. So um, wh- let's hear. What did you do in the war? Sure. Um, I graduated college uh, with a degree in business administration in 1969, and there was a draft, and I didn't uh, really uh, think I wanted to be an infantryman in the Army, so I volunteered and joined uh, the Navy and went through two years of flight training to become a fighter pilot in the United States Navy. I served on the USS Midway, and uh, one uh, did two cruises on the Midway. One, the first cruise was in a lengthy 11-month-long journey to Vietnam, where a good portion of the missions that we flew were into North Vietnam. Uh, during that um, cruise, um, I flew over 175 missions into Vietnam and earned two distinguished flying crosses, four individual air medals, and four Navy commendation medals for my service. This experience that I had uh, in Vietnam and with war uh, really caused me to take pause about the trajectory of my life and what I was doing and why I wanted to do this and what were the implications of this 
And when I got back from Vietnam, I actually went back to college again as an undergraduate, even though I already had an undergraduate degree, and did a fifth year of undergraduate work in psychology because I had become interested in what's the impact of stress and traumatic events on individuals and especially over the course of my career, what are the impact of these events on children and their families. Wow. That, you know, you really paid it forward. I was mentioning to Bob on the break, many people cannot talk about the Vietnam War. So that is amazing that not only you can talk about it, but factor it into what happened to you in the rest of your life. I think it's had a major impact on the rest of my life as I really tried to come to terms with what were the implications of of going over another country and dropping many, many thousand-pound weapons on uh, different targets that we were assigned to do and what were the implications of this in terms of my own personal life history and my own journey and really made a fairly conscious decision early on after the war was over to begin to try to see if I could reconcile what I might have done uh, as a pilot during the war. I have a question. Now, did that help you by going into this field? Did that help you deal with it, or how did you reconcile it? Um, I think it, that it has helped me to reconcile it. Um, I feel like it's given me um, an overall meaning and purpose in my life. I can't help but, if I play it backwards, wonder if I hadn't have gone in this new direction for myself, if I might not have had lots more issues related to dealing with my own behavior as a soldier in war and the implications of following your orders and doing the things that you need to do. Yeah. Wow. Well, you really did pay it forward, and uh, isn't that just great, everyone, that someone would go from that to traumas, (laughs) paying it forward, which brings me to my favorite topic, which is the Leadership Education Neurodevelopment Disabilities and Related Disorders Program, as I mentioned, my very good friend Andy Imperato, that the majority of my listeners know, um, was I was just delighted to meet you at the graduation and at our dinner. So let's start here. What is LEND for our listeners, and how did it get started? Sure. So LEND programs provide interdisciplinary training to enhance the clinical expertise and leadership skills of professionals who are dedicated to caring for children with neurodevelopmental disabilities, with other related disabilities, including autism, but also just a wide range of children with special needs. So as your listeners already uh, know, I've specialized in children uh, who face the challenge of cancer, and many of these kids have lifelong disabilities that they struggle with after they successfully um, win their battle with cancer. And that would be a group also that I would consider to be part of the package of children 
and families that we try to take care of within Lent. Since their inception, Lens have trained thousands of individuals from a wide variety of disciplines. Um, so this would include medicine, psychology, um, speech-language pathology, physical therapy, occupational therapy, audiology, social work, and so on, to work with and to provide the very best possible services and supports for children with special needs and their families. And the focus of these training programs has always been on children with a wide range of intellectual and developmental disabilities and special health care conditions, especially medically fragile kids with multiple or complex challenges. So another group that clearly falls into the purview of LEND would be children who have seizure disorders. More recently, an additional focus has been added to the network's mission. And this started in December 2007 when the Combating Autism Act was funded, and it brought additional funding to LENS programs to promote education, early detection, and intervention in the autism spectrum disorders. And trainees in LEND programs participate in academic, clinical, leadership, and community opportunities. And all of these opportunities are really couched in family-centered care that focuses on cultural and linguistic competence within that framework. The last thing I want to just say to your listeners about LEND is there are 43 LEND programs across the United States in 37 different states. So this is really a nationwide program trying to train the next generation of leaders who take care of kids with special needs and their families. Well, you know, this is such an awesome thing. How did this first get started? So LEND uh, first got started in the 1960s. It was funded um, um, when uh, public law 88-164 was signed into law by President Kennedy just uh, 22 days before he was assassinated. And um, this legislation um, was intended to implement recommendations of the president's panel on uh, mental retardation. So that was the beginning of it, and it funded an overall umbrella organization called AUCD, which is Association of University Centers on Disabilities which is a membership organization that supports and promotes a national network of university interdisciplinary programs. Well, how about here in Pittsburgh? Who did they first approach here in Pittsburgh? So these uh, funding opportunities are competitive. I see. And the land of Pittsburgh started under the leadership of my good friend and colleague, Heidi Feldman, who's now a professor at Stanford University. Heidi uh, first funded this effort here in 1996. It was initially called Euclid to try to bring things together, and we changed it 
to lend to Pittsburgh to make it a little bit easier for people to grasp that it's leadership education, neurodevelopmental disabilities. But it's been funded continuously since 1996 and expanded um, by one-third with our recent um, competitive restructuring in terms of the, our local lend. Now, how do people in Pittsburgh, how would they get involved with this program? Sure. So the Lend of Pittsburgh, uh, the easiest place to understand more about us would be to go and look at our website, which is Lend, L-E-N-D, of Pittsburgh. And you can easily go online and see what we're about and how we do this. Um, I might add in terms of interests, local interests from your listeners, LEND does more than talk about family-centered care. And what I mean by that is one of our disciplines in terms of our faculty on our LEND grant is a discipline we label as family. This is an individual uh, who's a parent of a child with special needs who we recruited from the community who serves on our LEND faculty. So just as one of the members of the LEND faculty, myself, is a psychologist, Dr. Mia Asato is a physician on our uh, faculty along with uh, John Fletcher, and we have other faculty members related to early intervention, occupational therapy, physical therapy, audiology. But one of our disciplines is a discipline we call family, and any of your listeners who might be interested in learning more about LEND training and the LEND mission, I would encourage them to go on our website and take a look at this because not only do we have LEND faculty who represent family, but over the last few years, we've specifically recruited family members or individuals, young adults, with a disability who would like to get LEND training along with the rest of our trainees. And you can imagine when you start to think about training as a group and you have psychologists and physical therapists and family members all sitting at the table at the same time, it really begins to change the structure of the conversation and the way people go back and forth and begin to appreciate different perspectives and how to provide what I really would consider outstanding family-based care uh, to families in the community. I, I just think that is remarkable because, you know, there's so much more involved. Well, I'll use myself with epilepsy. For a child living with epilepsy, there is so much more involved. And for some doctors or the health profession to understand better how to help them and deal with them, uh, not just from, you know, the medical, here, take this anti-epilepsy medication. I just think that's wonderful. And I know you cover, as you mentioned, autism and other neurological disorders. Um, so one more time, what is that website? That website is L-E-N-D of Pittsburgh. L-E-N-D of Pittsburgh. And, and as you mentioned, you have these allies or family members on the staff uh, that you were referring to. How has that gone with them? How, how have they done? 
So I think it, it's gone uh, quite well uh, in terms of involving family members. Um, our family faculty member, uh, her name is Dory Ortman, and uh, Dory has been on our faculty for the last four years. I think she's been an outstanding addition to the faculty and uh, the focus of our LEND and really uh, ensuring that everything we do in terms of our training mission becomes uh, family-centered. We've then had the opportunity to have uh, several rounds of students who represented family as a discipline, so just as psychology students would represent psychology as a discipline, we're trying to create a discipline that we label as family, where you can begin to move away from your specific advocacy position for your child and begin to think of a broader set of advocacy positions similar to what you have been able to accomplish in terms of your focus with children with seizure disorders and move that not only even in a broader way to a broader community of individuals who face uh, special challenges related to neurologic disabilities. Yes, because um, you need the health care, you need the doctor's care, but, you know, you need the emotional, social uh, care also. It's the current chairman of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation, Warren Lambert, uh, started the Epilepsy Therapies Project, bringing in all these research studies of new forms of therapy, uh, his daughter has a very significant form of epilepsy, and as he would say, he wants the cure, but, you know, what about now? And that's what I look at with this. We want the medication, but what about the rest of it? So, you know, that's why I think this is so important and such a great thing. So you mentioned autism. What are the disabilities across the board? So it's clear that... Uh, um the number of children who are meeting current diagnostic criteria for autism have, uh, has risen significantly over the past 10 years. Uh, I personally am not certain how much of this has to do with how, what the diagnostic criteria uh, have evolved to become or whether we're much more articulate in terms of looking for kids who are having these kinds of difficulties and then identifying in them, them and trying to link them up with services. But clear, one of the clear missions of LENS today is to provide this group of diverse students with more understanding of the early signs of autism, how you make this early diagnosis, and evidence-based comprehensive treatments for young people who are diagnosed with this uh, disorder. Now, there are many comorbidities with autism and with epilepsy. So does it cover that also? It does cover the comorbidities. And, again, you can imagine when you think about family-centered care, all of these comorbidities come quickly into the conversation because families are really concerned about these comorbidities. And as they bring them up, as they... Uh, ask about assistance and direction in terms of how to manage these. Um, I think LEND is perfectly positioned 
to bring students and faculty together with these groups of families and provide this kind of diverse interdisciplinary care that's just so essential today. And you know, as you just mentioned, wow, so many children over the past 10 years have increased so many with autism. And as you sort of alluded to at the beginning, could a percentage of that just be because they weren't being diagnosed? So I I really do think that that would be the case. And I'll just give you an example from some of my own research. Um, One of the groups of kids that I've uh, studied have a genetic disorder called neurofibromatosis, which I'm I'm not going to get into the details of what that's about. But one of the things we were interested in is how these kids get along with others at school. And we went out to 60 of their schools, 60 different schools in 60 different school districts, and collected data from their peers without ever pointing out to their peers exactly what we were interested in. What we learned from this was this group of kids didn't have friends, wasn't well-liked, was isolated and victimized based on data from their peers without them knowing why we were there. We went back then and we looked at the medical records for these 60 young people and we said, I wonder how many of these kids have been diagnosed on the spectrum. And out of the 60, only one. So I think there are numbers of kids who have the kinds of symptoms that are uh, congruent with the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder where they're not being identified and they're still out there and not getting probably all of the services that they might uh, need and could benefit from. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, um, I met you because of Andy Imperato, so I thought you could talk a little bit about AUCD and how that impacts the LEND program. Sure. So AUCD is the Association of University Centers on Disabilities, and it's a membership organization that supports and promotes a national network of university-based interdisciplinary programs. And the network includes 67 programs that are called USEDS. This is University Centers for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, And these are funded by the Administration on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. Then uh, 43 LENS, which we've already talked about. And LENS are funded by Maternal and Child Health Bureau. And then it also includes in their uh, membership umbrella 15 developmental disability research centers, which which are funded by the National Institute of Child Health and Development. So all of these programs under the umbrella of AUCD serve and are located in every state in the United States and every territory and are all part of universities or medical centers. And these centers underneath uh, the aegis of AUCD serve as a bridge between the university and the community bringing together resources of both to achieve meaningful changes. And AUCD supports the network 
through leadership on major social problems affecting all people living with developmental or other disabilities or special health care needs, and considerable amounts of advocacy within Congress and the executive branch agencies that fund and regulate programs that are utilized and essential to individuals with disabilities. It also provides networking and partnering with other national organizations to advance the network's national agendas. It promotes communication within the network and other groups by collecting, organizing, disseminating data on network activities, and it provides technical assistance to members of the network on a whole wide range of, of topics. So AUCD is an umbrella organization for all of these other activities. Wow. So, well, I love Andy, and I loved hearing him speak, and, and I think that it is just really taking off, becoming more, more well-known in the country, and I think that is just fantastic. I'm sure you enjoyed having Andy speak. He was inspirational to me. I've followed up with him several times uh, since he was here in Pittsburgh. I actually got to spend the weekend with him at a director's meeting um, after our graduation uh, with our students, and uh, he definitely has impacted already the trajectory of what I see our Len doing and uh, my own vision for that. Yeah, well, he'll take it far. He is just a wonderful, talented, brilliant, passionate person. So couldn't have a better person um, at the helm, that's for sure. I would well, agree with look, you. It is amazing to me, you are just an incredible man, a good man, but a courageous person. So obviously, I know that somewhere in all of this, you had a role model, and uh, who was that role model? Um, I've actually been thinking about this a fair amount in terms of uh, that question, and I would have to say it it ties back to my initial comments having to do with just a group of children and families that I've had the honor to be able to work with who face major medical challenges and do it with the dignity and respect that I hear uh, in your voice and in the, your approach to life and so the approach to life of so many others. So I would have to say it's not one individual, but really, uh, for me at least, a group of individuals and families and parents where you walk out of the hospital room and you say, how could these people be so optimistic, so positive, so looking forward in terms of taking next steps, and even again, uh, families who have lost a child, who, where they start foundations and try to move things ahead in their child's honor, uh, I would have to say that's really become my role model in terms of the trajectory of, for my life and how I try to move these things ahead. I, I was going to say one other thing in terms of my accident that I forgot about. Yeah, um, right ahead. Uh, thanks. And that is, uh, I think one of the things that made it uh, feasible 
for me to go through that traumatic injury and recovery is my wife. And specifically, she was there every single day. She would get to the hospital at 7 in the morning. She would stay at the hospital till 10 o'clock at night and was just constantly by my side, constantly advocating for me, making sure that whatever medicine I got, it was the right medicine, making sure that doctors were doing the things they needed to do. But most importantly, just being there and being a supportive person uh, across the entire course of that journey. And I, I don't think I would have done quite as well if I had faced these challenges uh, without her uh, being there. Yeah, never. Uh, I mean, I know exactly what you mean because that's what I went through, you know, with my husband and my family. And just having a support person there with you through a time like this just makes so much of a difference and, and enables you so much to carry on. Um, so I agree with you, and that's a wonderful tribute to your wife uh, for what she has done. I want to go back for a moment when you were talking about your role model. I'm just wondering, were there any things, any patients, any families that when you think about it really stand out in your mind? You, you know, um, there there are actually a lot because I've worked in pediatric cancer for 30 years, and so I've probably worked with well over a 1,000 families across the course of, of my clinical and research experience. Two that uh, come to mind, uh, there's a foundation that I'm currently working with called Maddie Miracle Foundation. I would encourage your uh, listeners to go online and, and go on to their website. Maddie Miracle Foundation was founded by... Vicki and Peter Brown in memory of their son, Maddie, who uh, was not successful in his journey uh, for treatment of cancer. And I've had this great opportunity to interact with Peter and Vicki over the last four years because they're trying to improve the quality of psychosocial care for children with cancer and their families. And they're trying to make meaning in their lives about what happened to their son, Maddie, and to get other people to think about Maddie, even though they may not have even known him, and to play it forward in terms of being positive, optimistic, and trying to make sense of lots of the senseless things that can happen to us across uh, our journeys. And so I would have to say at least right now in the minute in terms of the influence on my life, uh, it would be Patty, uh, I'm sorry, Peter and Vicki, and they're really raising awareness uh, related to psychosocial issues and children with cancer and wanting everyone to remember Maddie. Wow. And there was another family? Um, you know, there are, there are other families. Um, uh, um, one other family that came to mind for me was a young lady. When I first started uh, working in pediatric cancer, we didn't have 
as much supportive medical care as we do today. And um, so kids had to get very, very invasive treatments a lot of the time, and we didn't have pain medications to help them. Uh, one particular young lady and their family um, worked with me because she had to get bone marrows and spinal taps constantly. Anyone who's listening who's ever had a bone marrow knows it's an exquisitely painful procedure, and we used to do them in the 1980s without a lot of sedation. And this young lady uh, worked with me and uh, learned a lot of self-hypnosis skills so that she could go and uh, get bone marrows and spinal taps without even being frightened and her self-report not being painful, even to the point where she asked me to make a video, which we made in, I think, 1984, 1985, so we could show this to other children so they wouldn't be frightened. I just think, wow, how do you do this when you're six years old? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. She is an unbelievable person. That's what I would say. (laughs) Well, Robert, you have accomplished so much in your life, but what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, thank you for um, that compliment that I've accomplished a a lot. Um, Well, you have. Thank you. Um, What I've really been interested in is understanding the impact of uh, randomly occurring medical events on the lives of uh, children and their families. And I feel like the thing that I've been able to accomplish is to really begin to define where there are problems so that we can start to think through more carefully what kinds of uh, interventions might we need to do to be supportive of uh, kids and their families when they face these kinds of challenges. So I have a body of work that I've been able to accomplish with many, many students um, that I'm really quite proud of. And so it's this larger agenda about teaching students. And uh, I've actually uh, mentored 25 doctoral students where I've been the primary mentor. And I don't know how many undergraduates who have gone to medical school and or graduate school and all of these individuals working with me to begin to try to understand better what are the impacts of these medical events because all of us want these things to go away and to be cured. But in the meantime, it really becomes essential from my perspective to think about what kinds of things should we be doing to help kids and families so that on a daily basis their lives are better they can have more dignity, respect, and function better in the community. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I've had many people on the show, senators, CEOs, the Obama administration, President Bush's sister. Um, I mean, really a lot of powerful people. But to me, powerful is the person and what they give back And I must tell you, that's how I feel about you. And I feel, Bob, that you are going to help so many people listening to the show today. I I really do. I I wonder if you know how many people you, without being on the show, 
have impacted in a positive way. I just wonder. But I have to tell you, I truly admire you. Well, and it goes back because the sort of full circle about this is when you come back from being at war and you begin to think about uh, what happened when you released these weapons or you shot that gun and what was the impact of that and then how can you begin to level this out and give back um, so that the trajectory of your life really begins to have some positive meaning. Yeah. Well, I can see that, Bob. As I said, I truly admire you, and I so appreciate you being with us on our show today. But I wanted to ask you if there is a message you would like to leave with our listeners. Sure. So uh, I think we've just come a tremendously long way in terms of our integration of individuals with disabilities into our communities. And you can just see all the the small changes, the sidewalks, the different access points that make it much, much easier. But I, I think the group where we really need to be focusing on in terms of moving ahead and integration of this group are, are those with the silent disabilities, those who have neurological um, impairments, those who have closed head injuries, those who have uh, epilepsy, and those kinds of silent disabilities where it's not quite so visible, it's not easy to understand um, or see why somebody's having difficulties with this, whether it's a child or an adult, and that really the next step forward, I, I think, for all of us in the disabilities community is to begin to think about how do we really embrace this idea of inclusion and to do it with evidence-based practice where we can include individuals who have these silent disabilities and uh, do the same kinds of things that I think we've been able to accomplish um, for many, many individuals with physical disabilities that are more visible. Boy, you are so right because that's what veterans with disabilities are going through right now with post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. So uh, I agree with you so much. Well, Bob, I want to thank you again for joining us today and being with us on the show. And anyone listening to the show, you know you just go to iTunes and you can download this show. Um, And, Bob, thanks again. It's been my honor. Thank you. Well, Bob, we end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted lives of many people, and this quote just fits everything you've talked about. And the quote is, a life lived for others is the only life worth living, said Albert Einstein. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 